brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering Soulsmith, chapters 18 and 19. In these chapters, we find out just who Ethan is, and it turns out he is one of the Aurelius family, which gives you an idea just how terrifying the Aurelius family could potentially be. I don't know what to think. Welcome to Spoil Me. the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Andrew for commissioning this episode, for commissioning this whole book, for commissioning this entire series. Um, the entire series, by the way, for those of you who are interested and who are following along, will be wrapped by mid-November. Um, so I just thought some of you might be interested to hear that because it was funny when we were still planning to have our wedding this year, the last episode was going to fall on the very last day that I did recordings at all before going and, uh, going to Florida to get married and go on my honeymoon. And now it's just going to be the last episode before I take a little vacation for the holidays. Um, I don't know. And Andrew, if you are listening and you want to fill me in, because I am positive that I've asked this before, but forgive me, I don't remember. I don't think the entire series is finished being written, correct? Do we have an idea how long the series is intended to be and when the next book on the docket comes out? I'm very interested in all of that information. Um, Andrew says, right, the series will be 12 to 16 books, if I recall. Um, and so far, I think I've, you've commissioned eight of them. He says the next book is Winter Steel, probably coming out in late September. Oh, 
Oh, shit. That's soon. That that might be something that you start commissioning like before the end of the year. Well, damn. All right. Um, that's exciting. Cool. I really like, it's always been one of those love hate things when I commission or not when I commission, when I record on something that isn't done. Part of me enjoys being current with a thing along with everyone else and experiencing it for the first time along with the rest of the fandom. Another part of me really likes to have the like, people out there who are spoiled guiding me occasionally with questions, especially if I'm covering it for like the official show that's got a a co-host with me. Um, But yeah, in late September, damn, that is exciting. I guess because I'm booked now until mid-November and I'm taking some time off. So that could be something that you could start commissioning now for like December, I guess. And then that would be like all set and I could start it pretty quickly after the first section is done. Man, I really wonder how the rate of writing has been for this author. Has it been about a book a year? That's what it was for Jim Butcher. And then he went through this like huge variety of changes and crises in his life, which led to a five-year wait when previously he'd been doing about a one Dresden book per year. And uh, it's the sort of thing that can really spoil your readers. They get used to shit coming out quickly. And then all of a sudden something happens and you can't produce at the same rate and they start to get real salty about it. So I hope that this author uh, does not experiencing that. He says, Will White typically does two books a year. What? Okay. You know what? I just need to not ask this shit because I can't, with the productivity of people. And, you know, I say this like I don't put out 12 shows a week. So I don't know why I even fucking am playing right now. But seriously, writing a book is like a different thing. I feel like maybe I'm not giving myself credit, but I can't see them the same way. That is bananas. Oh, my God. Two a year. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Okay. And I mean, these are not like the story itself is is somewhat straightforward so far but the world building is really intricate so i just can't imagine um wow okay and you know i don't tend to like to take a lot of time to talk about not the books specifically but these two chapters add up to Roughly around 30 pages, which is less than the 50 I usually do. I gave myself a little extra room knowing that I was going to be wrapping this book up and wanting to have some room to talk about a variety of things. Oh, my God, Andrew, I just got a, <laughs> I just got the email notification from you, Andrew, uh, sending me emails. Okay, so let's talk about 18, which starts out with Jai Long looking at Lyndon and basically telling him, He is so fucked up. You shattered this man's core, which means there won't even be a remnant. What the fuck did you do? And I am super duper curious. It's just taken for granted that people leave remnants. If his core is shattered, this is, I am assuming, like, 
unheard of. The fact that he has to say, what did you do? This isn't even something that like, I can't believe that you managed this as just an iron. It sounds like, I don't know how you did this, period. Like, I am thinking Jai Long himself in a fight could not render somebody's core broken, which is really fascinating. And I wonder if this adds to the sort of, what's the, the, honestly, just the shame, because I said something last episode about how the fact that Crawl was taken out by an iron is going to be really shameful. And we find out by the end of this section, indeed, like when his father gets the news, it's, it's bad. But I feel like he gets beaten by an iron and the iron also eliminates the possibility of a remnant. That is, has got to be worse, right? I want to know, obviously, Jai Long already has a remnant. He has his gold sign. But is there a procedure? Okay. I'm going to ask a bunch of questions right now. Andy, if you can't tell me, it's fine. But I'm just going to spit all my questions. So first of all, remnants, can they be like, how, how can they be stored? I feel like we have had a mention of this before, but I don't totally remember. I feel like we've seen them be contained in a circle or kept out using a circle. But is there a way to put them in a container to hold them? I, or do you have to absorb them right away in order for the, for like, does it, does it have to be a human body? Uh, secondly, does everybody leave a remnant, even if like, for example, Lyndon, as a wood, he wasn't even copper, right? Somebody kills him. He will leave a remnant. It will just be a super weak remnant. Correct. And remnants can be destroyed. We've seen that. So it's not that they just are immortal. Like, they are just subject to different rules than a physical body. And they don't contain the personality of the person who, from whom the remnant came. So it's not like because that was part of my confusion as well, finding out that there were remnants of like actual people in the first book. Of course, I think of it in that very, oh, the so-and-so's ghost, but it's not. It's like their abilities and their drive, but it's not their personality. It's their power solely. Okay. Andy says, first, the average sacred artist can't destroy someone's core. Remnants can be contained via scripts, but we don't really know what other ways or they can be absorbed by someone with a compatible path. Everyone normally leaves a remnant. The personality is gone in a remnant, but it has memories of the notable moments in that person's life and their techniques. It's the latter that is so valuable to a fresh gold. It has memories of the notable moments in that person's life. That's really interesting. Okay. Um, And their techniques. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense because... That would have to be like just sheer power doesn't really mean a ton without 
actual technique to to manifest the power with what like that wouldn't be super helpful so that makes sense um so yeah when this chapter starts off with Jai Long saying he isn't even going to leave a remnant I just I had one of those like oh sort of moments of like you know that uh gif of that dude sitting back after a really good comeback and his friend just like falling over in front of the camera in shock. That was basically my reaction to, to Jai Long's statement here. That is just, I mean, this is going to be such an amazing, oh, I feel like competition is, is the word that Ethan would use because he's just so, casual about the whole thing rivalry is the word i want to use but that doesn't feel strong enough just jai long versus linden i feel like is going to be really really interesting to watch i am incredibly excited about it i don't know if it's gonna like it might not stretch the whole series it may just be like something that happens in the next book i don't know but I am so into Jai Long being in so many ways very similar to Lyndon, but just much more prideful and having had a grip on power that he lost and being so embittered. It's just a really wonderful dichotomy that doesn't feel as forced and as unnatural as some can, you know, so frequently in fantasy, we will have the rich snobby kid versus the poor underdog. And you know where it's going. And it will feel rather not just predictable, but also kind of trite. Like it's sort of, there's something condescending about it sometimes, where we just love to celebrate. And I hate to say it that way, but honestly, that is the word. We love to celebrate and romanticize being poor. And oh, Siri, shut up. Leave me alone. We love to romanticize being poor and not having resources in order to make somebody's ascension so much more satisfying, which don't get me wrong. I like that. There's not anything inherently wrong with it until you look at it versus actual society and the way that we demonize poor people without resources and make it seem as if they have nobody but themselves to blame for their lack and the fact that they don't try hard enough, yada, yada, yada. And I really enjoy having Jai Long not just be a rich, powerful snob, but he's a rich, powerful snob who got shit taken from him, which is extremely different than what you usually see. Oftentimes it'll be, oh, somebody like, you know, has been knocked down from their position of power. Like, uh, let's take somebody really obvious like Voldemort. You know, he had been running shit and then all of a sudden he went up against the wrong one, nearly died and went into hiding and began to re-amass his power slowly in order to return to his former glory. Jai Long doesn't even have that because he never really got to be the head of the family. He was just being promised to be the head of the family eventually. And I have always felt frustrated p- 
potential is so much more devastating than a simple loss of something that you really had in your hand. If you fall in love with a person, for example, and you are working towards a situation in which you can be together. If I take me and Owen, I was living far away and we were working towards me being able to move down here and actually live together and have a relationship and be together. You are working toward that and suddenly something happens and one of that those two people die. And you never get that. How much more awful is that than, for example, now where, don't get me wrong, if anything happened to him, I would absolutely implode. There is There are no words strong enough for how, like just bringing it up just makes me already just, ugh, don't even talk about it. However, there are times where I feel like we have gotten, we have been so blessed to be together and have had as great a relationship as we do for as long as we have. We got an opportunity and losing it would be still devastating, but I would be so thankful at the same time that we had moments together that I can look back on. That gets cut off before you even are together so much more resentment and so much more rage and a feeling of just like the the universe being unfair and kind of low-key targeting you specifically, personally. So Jai Long's situation where it's not even that he's less powerful. He still has the abilities that he had before. It's simply this position that he hasn't been given and this respect that for all intents and purposes, he still deserves because he did the right thing in defending his little sister and has continued to make the best of the situation that he's in with the Sand Vipers in a way that should command their respect. Honestly, the fact that they don't see how valuable he still is, despite the deformity from his gold sign, despite the fact that he isn't on the path that they had predicted, the short-sightedness of it is deeply frustrating. And I'm sure to no one more than him. So Jai Long is this character that he's like, on the one hand, a little bit despicable in that he's out here 100% prepared to murder his whole family. And we see a prediction or a report that that is precisely what he is going to do. This isn't just some sort of like idle dream of, man, I fucking hate those people. I would love to kill them all. No, he really goes and does that shit. So yeah, he's a bad person. However, I kind of get it. I'm not even that mad at him. Like, these people sound like trash. And that's how I feel so much about everybody that Lyndon has known and the fact that he is working to save them. Lyndon is better than me. He just is. Jai Long is what I think I would be. I would low-key be just like, oh, well, you wanted me out of here. I mean, I'll I'll get out of your hair, but you should have killed me because this is not going to go well for you long term. And you clearly can't see that, but you will learn. And I hate to admit it, but that's just, I am not 
someone who copes well with rage and anger. I have a problem with my temper already. And you give me this like, look at a future for myself and take it away. I mean, I don't think most people would cope well with that. Jai Long isn't even, I think, a particularly negative example of what happens. He is, in some ways, best case scenario, in terms of how he decides to continue striving despite everything, instead of just giving up, which some people would do. But he continues striving for the deaths of his whole family. So, you know, I mean, what can you do? Um, and Andy says, Crawl's remnant is a particularly big loss to the Sand Vipers because of his level of advancement. Yeah. Okay. So that was, that was my initial question was just basically like, was somebody going to grab that shit and take it? And, and how would they, I would, if, if Crawl had his remnant, hadn't been destroyed, his core was still intact. How do they get that remnant? Because most of the people in this room have a gold sign already. And the remnants are rather unpredictable, right? Sometimes they behave like aggressively right away. Sometimes they'll sort of wander off like disoriented and dazed and then sort of begin to be aggressive, or they may not be aggressive at all. I imagine if it has any alignment with crawl, it would be aggressive. Would it, who would it go for? And how would they, like, I feel like can remnants will still attack people with gold signs. How do you defend yourself against it and preserve it for someone else to take and use? I, because the only person in this room who doesn't have one that I know of Actually, I was going to say it's only Lyndon, but have we seen any sort of gold sign on Ethan? Is that part of like maybe his uh, his blonde hair and blue eyes? I had been assuming that was just like a matter of uh, his race in the geographical area that he comes from. But I'm realizing that might not actually be true. What? Ah, I may not get to know that. But I'm very curious how this would have gone if things had worked out differently. Because we saw back at, um, what is the name of the holy heavens something? The spot where um, Yaren's sword sage's remnant was... Everybody had to sort of heaven's glory. Thank you, Andy. Oh my God. Everybody had to like fight their way in and sort of overpower the thing. Right. And she was the only one who really managed to do it, even though everybody was after it and very interested in, in getting it. And I'm just imagining this winding up the same way. Like would crawl clear the room Essentially, his his remnant comes out. And does that mean that everybody just fucking bails once they realize, oh, shit, here comes his remnant. Everybody get out. And they like block the door and then have people one by one attempt to overtake it and 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 take it under their control. 
I'm just super curious about like the logistics of all of this. I am always into logistics. You guys know this. And it's things like this that really like, if you're an author, I can imagine just spitballing wildly with this sort of shit. So Lyndon is, he tries for a second to sort of bargain with Jai Long. Like, I'll tell you what happened to him what or what I did to him as long as you won't kill me. And Jai Long is like, oh, no, 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 no. You're gonna die. It's just a matter of how quickly you tell me what you fucking did and how long it will take you to die. Either you you tell me now and I'll just kill you here or you tell me later, I torture you to find out. And I also get to just basically enjoy torturing somebody who killed my friend. And they go to bag him up, as he puts it. Um, his imagination chewed on everything they could do to him once they had him in the bag. And Yaren still hadn't risen from where she'd fallen. Had she died? Her remnant hadn't risen, but she would be in no shape to help him. Nor could he help her. He had only one hope left. So this is when... Ethan steps in and is like, okay, look, I really get it. And this makes sense. However, I can't let you do it. And Jai Long turns around and does a formal sort of introduction and is like, hey, I don't know if you're high gold, if you're true gold, but if you try to step between me and this motherfucker right here, you are going to be making an enemy out of the Sand Vipers and the Jai Clan. Athan says they care so much for an exile. Jai Long did not pause a beat. For me, no. For their reputation, everything. You will have stood before a clansman for the sake of an iron and they will only save face by killing you. Stand aside, or we will water your home with blood and sow the ground with salt. The worst part was how each of his words was delivered, flat and absolute. The Jai clansmen behind Jai Long shifted and looked at each other, but they didn't put down their spears. The sand vipers looked ready to draw blood with their teeth, and even the fishers glowered. So Athan's like, all right, you know what? I hear you. And honestly, operating with the information that you currently have, it makes sense why you would say this, but counterpoint. And he shows them a badge, which causes everybody to drop their fucking weapons and step backward. And then he says, my name is Athan Aurelius, heir to the Aurelius family, underlord in service of the Black Flame Empire and the greatest janitor alive. This young man is an agent of my clan working under my aegis and my protection and any action against him will be considered action against me. And everybody is super duper intimidated, except predictably for Jai Long, who's like, you're not a fucking Aurelius. Get the fuck out of here. They're days away or at least a day. And underlords don't move ahead of their clan. You're not going to fucking tell me you are one of them. And Ethan goes over and picks up that spear. That super powerful, 
white spear and looks at Jailong and says, what I want cannot be commanded. And he tosses it down, turns around and looks at Jailong and everybody crumples. It's a, it's just a force of will. This underlord is, it feels like literally crushing their spirits and people are having trouble breathing, depending on how strong they are. It seems to like have make a difference in exactly how dramatic an effect he has on them. Um, and Jai Long looks, let's see, it says, Ethan says, you've insulted me more than once. Some other underlords of my acquaintance would have pulled you apart piece by piece over a month's time. Others would simply obliterate you. And then the pressure vanishes and he says, but I'm famous for my good humor and forgiving temper. You've lost a friend. So I think you've more than earned a few lapses in judgment. And of course, you've earned a campaign of vengeance against Lyndon here. And I love this. Even Lyndon is like, he's what now? He, but... Hold up. I thought. And Ethan basically is like, so what we're going to do is you are definitely going to track him down and try and kill him. Fine. Totally on board. 100%. Get it. I'm for it. But you are going to have to wait one year. And he is going to advance in that time. So you will have somebody worthy to go up against instead of you just trying to obliterate an iron, which doesn't bring you any honor. And honestly, just isn't like a super, super great optic for you. Um, he says, you will wait in respect for my wishes and compensation. I won't strip this place to the bones and then break it looking for marrow. Everyone will receive the treasures that they have earned in order of their contribution to the excavation effort. As the first to arrive, the new members of my family will select their rewards. As Yaren can't join us at the moment, I will choose for her. He re he reaches onto a table and grabs this bag that clicks, it says, as he lifts it. I don't know if it's full of money. I don't know if it's got weapons in it. I don't know. I don't think that we find out either by the end of this book. I could be wrong about that and I missed it. But I don't believe so. Then he says, Lyndon can pick something. And Lyndon, in the way that he do, technically picks two things, which honestly, I like respect. You don't get given this sort of opportunity and then play by the rules. You're not Lyndon and you play by the rules. That doesn't work. That Being Lyndon and playing by the rules means Lyndon is dead. That's how that goes. And I I just love this so much. So that last binding is still available um, in the case. I guess the one that he used on crawl, it's just gone now, right? He 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 stabbed crawl with it. It absorbed crawls like Madra and then exploded, and so that is what decimated his core. And the binding itself was destroyed, I'm assuming. Um, and he says he he's going to take that. And there's this moment of him realizing, like, I could take that spear, 
But first of all, I didn't really want it to begin with. And second of all, Jai Long is after that spear, clearly. And if I take it, that's just another reason for him to really want me dead, like extra. So he takes that binding and he then goes for the research notes. Um, it says... He saw no need to mention the badges or the scripted black stones, which he'd already scavenged and placed in his pack. Again, I'm here for it. Lyndon, you packed before they got here. Anything you got before all of these rules were set in place is fair game. I am not mad at you. Um, Ethan turned to Jai Long. I have no need of anything for myself. I already achieved what I came for. Jai Long, as the leader of the other party, to reach the summit of the Transcendent Ruins, what treasure do you claim? And here comes Fisher Gesha. Now, I'm going to freely admit, I overestimated her a little bit. Because I thought her turning her back on Lyndon and Yaren was part of a longer term plan or something. I thought that there was more method to it, but really what it was was simply you guys figure out a way out of this. And I guess you're still one of us because you're still alive, but it's really not my problem. And I'm not particularly worried about it. And the fact that they are still alive she is going to be like, she's, she's fully prepared to welcome them back with open arms and try and act like, let's just let bygones be bygones. You know, you let yourself get into a bad situation, but you got out of it. Congratulations. You're still one of us. And aren't you grateful that we let you be one of us? And instead Ethan's like, mm, you didn't, you discarded them, though. And I really liked this moment, but I did feel sad because I've grown to like Gesha. So it was sad to realize that had they not come out on top the way they do, she was prepared to be just as ruthless as anyone. I wanted her to have some particular affection for the two of them. She doesn't. It's clear she doesn't. On the one hand, I'd kind of respect that because that's probably how she got where she is. On the other hand, I wanted her to give a shit personally and realizing she doesn't. It just sort of bummed me out a little bit. Um, and let's see. Jai Long has served our clan's allies well, but he is not in favor. The Underlord should rest assured that we will reward him appropriately once we have cataloged the contents of the ruins and distributed them according to the will of the clan. Um, Gesha stabbed a gnarled finger in Lyndon's direction without looking at him. Key. Besides, that boy and the low gold accompanying him belong to the Fishers. They were soon to take their oaths, and it would be a shame to have invested so much in their futures only to have someone else reap the rewards. That deserves some compensation, don't you think? And to have invested so much, they've been with you for like a week and change. It has not been long enough for you to act like you've put years of work into these guys. You know, no, they are not yours. And when Ethan bows back to them, 
all of them collapse and look like they are in extreme pain. Gesha in particular seems to be the one suffering the most. And Ethan, as they are all like crumpled on the floor, he goes up to the Jai clan elder and asks about their gold sign, which I had forgotten is hair that's like solid and sits on their head like a helmet, which is so weird. Um, he moves on to the fisherman, Fisher Rahan, I presume. Uh, it's polite to introduce yourself when you're meeting a superior, you know, but I know who you are regardless. I must have been hard on you reaching true. It must have been hard on you reaching true gold, but you did what you had to. Anything you had to. A kind person couldn't inherit the fishers, could he? And if he did, he wouldn't remain kind for long. I can respect that, but there are things you should and should not say to your superiors. And then he goes over to Gesha. I've dealt with people like you all my life. You earned everything at the edge of a spear, so you've picked up some unfortunate habits. Oh, but you're a soulsmith, aren't you? You earned it making the spears. I can deal with you like human beings if I take the time to get to know you, to slide into the walls you've built, to slip through the cracks in your pride. But I don't have the patience for that today. I'm picking up the pair that you discarded. Do you have any objection? And she shakes her head. And it's like, all right, I just want to make sure all of you know I'm the one in charge who decides what the fuck is happening here. And I, w I need you guys to realize you may think that I wouldn't dare offend by going after the rulers of these clans, but you all know the position that I'm in as Underlord and an Aurelius. All I'd have to do is write a letter of apology and be like, Hey, sorry about that. And that would be it. Do you guys think that I like, I give a shit about that. This is not something I'm worried about. And finally he releases them all. And he's like, so can't we just do this the way that I said I was being reasonable. Y'all are trying to get greedy. We don't need to be like this. Just let Jai Lung take the thing he wants to take, which unsurprisingly is the spear. And Lyndon is watching Ethan and wondering because he's still smiling. He's still very good natured throughout this whole thing. He's wondering, like, would he smile while he killed them? And I find it really interesting to realize that as powerful as Ethan is, we don't see him kill anybody in this whole book. I have no doubt, of course, that he's capable of it. It seems like it would be no effort. But we don't he doesn't ever do that. And there's almost a feeling of it just being unfair, like him knowing I, you are so outmatched by me that killing you would just really be cruel for no reason. I don't have to do that. All I need to do is let you know I have my eye on you and you're aware I could do what I wanted. And so you avoid it because you are trying to please me. And that's much easier for everybody. So then we go into information requested, Jai Long's future, beginning report. And we get a variety of potential futures with a level of probability to each of them. Um, 
So the beginning of the report, before we get to the probabilities, we get a guarantee of him killing all of these people in the Jai clan. Um, let's see. His spear is pure white and it drinks the power of slain remnants. With every death he causes, Jai Long grows stronger. As he destroys his family's homes one by one, he draws closer to the Jai patriarch. So low probability, somebody kills him. Uh, also low probability, his sister manages to convince him to set this aside and stop. And he winds up dying by himself in isolation after she gets married to somebody and has a family. High probability. They can't do shit. High probability is he goes hard and the patriarch sees him coming and manages to find out that this duel is going to come up between Jai Long and Linden, which the what we hear a little bit later, it looks like the Jai family, the Jai clan is going to be investing in Linden to keep Jai at arm's length. Hopefully. Um, so we go to uh, the future of the Sand Viper sect continue. And we go to Kral's father finding out that his son is dead. Um, Kral was killed by an iron bringing shame to the entire Sand Viper sect and his family. This iron was taken away to the Black Flame Empire sheltered by a young underlord. That This family is protecting his son's killer, and in one year, Jai Long will take revenge on his behalf. Gokrin knows he must only wait. So I find that really interesting, that Gokrin does not seem to feel any motivation personally to go after Linden. He is more than willing to leave it to Jai Long, which surprises me a little bit. I wouldn't really have expected that. I thought, I would think that he would be willing to let Jai Long take the lead on it, while formulating his own plan, perhaps on a larger scale against the Aurelius family altogether, rather than purposely against just Linden. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like the Sand Viper clan has like a lot of clout and they're not very organized. So he might just not think that way. And that's part of why they aren't in a bit better position. Um, so then we get warning deviation detective. Entity Weishi Linden has deviated from primary course. Best estimates follow. I love this. Deviated from primary course, which I am assuming is the course that Suriel showed him, of him eventually advancing, getting to have a family, and living a an overall unremarkable but satisfying life. This is deviating from that. High probability. The Jai Patriarch approaches Weishi Linden with a proposition. Linden fills one of his cores with the path of the stellar spear, enjoying the most powerful elixirs and training methods the Jai clan can procure. Jai Long is sabotaged by a series of attackers in the days leading up to the duel, and he begins the fight weak. Linden manages to score one severe wound before he dies, and the Jai patriarch uses that wound to suppress Jai Long. Low Probability Linden fails to find a suitable path to supplement his path of twin stars and runs from the battle. He is caught by the Jai clan and executed in captivity. 
low probability, Linden devises, Linden devises a weapon specifically designed to counter Jai Long's spear. He quits himself well in the duel, but dies of his wounds. Every single one of these, I will mention, results in Linden's death. All of them. These are the paths seen in this report. There are no others mentioned. So either Linden's going to die for sure, or what winds up happening is of such slim possibility that they didn't even bother mentioning it in the report, which is really, really interesting. And if I were going to bet on one of these, I personally would have bet on the last one. He devises a weapon because that for me sounds like the most satisfying thing. I love the idea of him not only advancing, but also learning to create things to that are maybe not on the level of that spear, but at the very least, like approaching that, that level. And it says low probability. So I don't know. I'm worried about him. So let me go to chapter 19. And this is from Yaren's perspective. Um, and she wakes up and she is suspended from the ceiling being poked by a spider and she loses her mind and just like slices through everything in order to release herself. Um, Yaren's breath froze and before she could think, she tore everything apart. Uh, she landed in a crouch, spider parts clattering to the ground in the sizzle of escaping Madra. A construct then. Of course it was. She shuddered anyway. The walls of her room were made of rough wood that still smelled fresh. One door, the only entrance or exit besides a single shuttered window. The hearth in one wall was too narrow to let anything in besides a construct or tiny sacred beast, and a script circle helped ward against those. She checked those herself inside an hour of moving in. She would have recognized the room faster had she not just reduced all the furniture to kindling. This was the little cottage the fishers had given her, where she'd stayed for less than two weeks. That almost, uh, that almost won the medal for longest time she'd lived in the same place. So she's like looking around like, what the fuck happened? Because we lost to Jai Long. I should be dead. And yet they've got me trussed up in here, helping me out using healing. What is going on? Um, and... As she takes a step forward, she feels this pain shooting up her leg and realizes that she probably cut short some sort of, uh, what's the word I want? They, they were in the middle of like some kind of procedure, clearly, to repair the damage that she can feel when she walks. And as she is beginning to, you know, pull some madra together in order to defend herself because she hears somebody coming... Linden steps in and is like, hey, buddy, uh, please don't kill me. It's me. And he says, I want to explain what happened so that you don't just wander off trying to figure out what's going on. 
Um, and let's see. She, she rested a hand on her red belt with her as always, still tied into an intricate bow, the shape designed by her master to bind its power. It twisted slightly beneath her palms, straining against the seal. It was no threat for now, but its restrictions would weaken with time. Sand rushed through an hourglass. An incense stick burned steadily down. She wasn't sure how many years she had left, but if she didn't advance far enough to keep her guest suppressed with her own power, then she wouldn't be herself anymore. Now that she thought of it, someone had dressed her, which meant someone had gotten a good look at the rope tied around her waist and had decided not to fiddle with it. That showed strange wisdom. Most sacred artists would poke a bear to see if it was sleeping. So many questions. So, like, you know, we saw Lyndon get a look at her belt and literally vomit, right? He saw that shit and essentially it was like, so overcome by revulsion that he retched on the spot. Now we get this, you know, detail that how it's tied is somehow containing it there. That that is an aspect of its restraint and that it is managing to wear that away. And it's not, and you know, it doesn't happen quickly, but it's an inevitability that it will eventually wear through unless she manages to advance. So this is interesting because Lyndon has been on a clear path of needing to level up for very specific reasons that we know about. And it has felt like Yaren is advanced enough that we don't really need to worry about her, that all of our focus can be on Lyndon and, you know, she will be able to fend for herself and manage. If anything, he can sort of rely on her. But now we're finding out this information that there is a clock ticking for her as well. And it's much more like one could argue it's lower stakes because it's only about her. It's not like Lyndon's fighting on behalf of all of Sacred Valley, potentially the entire planet, depending on, you know, what it was that he saw. He is attempting to do something on behalf of millions, potentially, of people. But what she is fighting is, is it seems, mostly about her. Now, I say mostly about her without complete conviction because when she says she wouldn't be herself anymore, while that does sound like it's just about her, I don't have any trouble believing that maybe that winds up being bad news for other people. You know, it maybe it wears through and she loses herself to whatever is inside that rope belt or whatever it is. And then we see people dying we see her maybe lashing out or doing God knows what. Um, so, you know, I say low, it's lower stakes, but I'm not positive of that. I don't know anything about what could happen here. I don't have any details. So I wonder too, who left her belt alone? Was it Gesha? Was it Lyndon? 
I don't feel like Lyndon would have undressed her because just when they undress in the bathhouse together that one time, he almost has a goddamn heart attack and they're not even able to see each other, you know, that I remember. So I have a hard time believing that he would have been able to, to do that and keep his cool. Um, so he sits down and she looks at his clothes and he is wearing the colors of the Aurelius family. And she's kind of like, oh, so that shit happened. It's really weird to realize she just missed all of it. You know, he has to explain everything. And she thinks that Ethan has decided to zero in on Lyndon only and that she's going to be left behind. And it's honestly precious because like, girl, of course, he, he, he spent two weeks. We went, I, I forgot to mention, by the way, I kept thinking that the period in which Lyndon's locked in that room with all the remnants fighting was a couple of days, but it seems like it was a couple of weeks. I don't know how that's possible. And by possible, I don't just mean like, how could he have survived? I don't mean that. I mean, it seemed like the pyramid was being ransacked or on the edge of it and it taking that long for them to get to where these three were doesn't really like make sense to me, but whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, so he explains to her what happened about killing crawl. And Lyndon says he came looking for recruits and he thinks we'd be suitable. And she asks, first of all, how long was I out? And it was, it turns out like six hours and keeps on thinking that he is about to like head on out with the Aurelius family without her, despite the fact that he just said he wants us. Like he said, we, but that doesn't really seem to be sinking in for her. I don't know if she doesn't believe him. She thinks he's lying or if she thinks that he misunderstood. Um, and let's see. But, but, but she asks, how are you moving that arm? You should be dead and buried, but you're up and hopping in six hours. He says, I have an iron body now, just like you. And he says it in a way that suggests that her question is strange. He doesn't understand why she's asking. And she's like, uh-uh, no, 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 not like me. My body is very like, I, something is up with the way that you became an iron and it is not the same. Um, let's see, but, 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 but she'd barely taken a step on her path without some gruesome, gruesome injury. A lot of this was right and proper, but Lyndon just walked his off in half a day. She flashed back to a figure caked in blood and black ooze until he looked like he'd crawled out of a wildfire. She would have bet a pile of jewels that he was dead, and she was prepared to take that price out of Ethan's skin. Instead, he'd advanced to iron. What kind of body had they given him? And he can see in her face, her train of thought, and is like, is something wrong? Am I, did I, did I fuck up? What, what do you, what have you got that look on your face for? 
And she just says, your new underlord can handle it. And again, your new underlord, she's still distancing herself from this. She doesn't want to like get her hopes up. When he says, I accepted his invitation before you woke up, she thinks he means for himself that he has left her behind. And I'm just like, girl, do you not hear what he's saying to you? She's just so convinced he's just trying to abandon her, you know? Um, so here comes Ethan and he's like, oh, okay, what's up guys? Um, look, I know that I wasn't in the room, but I definitely heard everything you all said because I just can't help that. So, and I love how she goes, how long have you been listening? And he says, for about four weeks now, I cackled. I really did. That just, it was an unexpected line. And I really thought that was genuinely really funny. Um, and he says to Lyndon, where did you get the impression that I wanted you and only you? And I'm like, but he didn't say that. He said we. However, I think that this is just Ethan like kind of messing with him a little bit. And he says, I want the set. And she all of a sudden feels this like weight lift and is so fucking relieved. Um, and then Ethan reminds her, you're supposed to be, uh, or he reminds Lyndon, one half of the set is supposed to be embedding bindings into constructs. Um, and when Lyndon apologizes and is like, I thought it would help if I was here when she woke up, he says, that's kind of you. And of course, I have no objection to kindness. If you think kindness might keep you alive in one year when a high gold is decorating the walls with your insides. And Lyndon says, what can possibly happen in a year that makes me able to stand up to a high gold? And Ethan says, essentially, you are going to go through hell. You are going to hate me. You are going to loathe the very memory of me. But you may be able to do it by the end of it. It's just going to really fucking suck. And Lyndon goes pale and he leaves. And as he does, Yaren turns to Ethan and says, So, you are letting him think this dude's going to be a high gold. You know that motherfucker, after all he's going to do with that spear, it ain't going to be no high gold no more. He will probably be true gold. At least he may be underlord by then. Who knows what the fuck he's going to do? Like, you know, um, and Ethan, far be it from him to just to deny this. He basically is just like, good on you for noticing that. Um, and he says, I don't think Lyndon can win against a true gold in a year. I just don't feel like that's possible. And he says, oh, no, he definitely can't. But he has to fight anyway, which I think is pretty exciting, actually. And she is like, oh, cool. So you're just setting him up to die for your entertainment. That's what we're doing. 
Really? And she's like so angry, but there's nothing she can really, you know, she's in this. She agreed, you know, and then he does that thing he does where he talks about some random thing from far away, a small sect of earth artists known as the Deep Eye School, and they are artists in the truest sense of the word. Their stone sculptures sell for millions on the open market. To train in the deep path, deep-eyed disciples spend years examining the aura of every rock and every boulder on the mountainside. Only when they've found the perfect material will they begin to sculpt. Sculpt, excuse me. And he says that he asked them what they were looking for when they stared, and they told him they were looking for the most beautiful flaws. He has an exquisite flaw. He was born too weak. He has learned to get by as the weak do, tricking and bargaining and scraping his way through a world of giants. If I wish to make him a giant, that is the flaw I must use. And I just really, I don't like, I agree with his assessment of Lyndon, but I don't know what he means by this. And She's really not particularly feeling it. She keeps looking at Ethan being like, he's smiling. This guy creeps me out. What is he even talking about? And he tells her that he has a gift for her. And she says that she doesn't want to take gifts when she doesn't know the reason behind it. Um, and wants to know why. And he says... Let me simply say being born with too little power is not the worst problem one can have. Um, and he talks about being a sacred artist moving forward. Um, and she may be little more than average now, but that wasn't where she'd started out, nor was it where she would end up. Um, and he says, I've been looking for people to walk with me every step of the way. Where to? she asked. To the end. He let that hang in the air, resonating with honest yearning like a pure musical note. The end of the sacred arts. It was the definition of a myth, the unattainable goal sought by every path. You think Lyndon can keep up? He's a gamble, I'll admit. But if it pays off, then I'm more worried about you keeping up with him. Unless, of course, you come to terms with your unwelcome guest. I already had a master, she said at last. I'm not calling you that. Ethan will do fine, he said, and smiled. And that is the end of the book. So, yeah, and I love when he mentions the guest, she's like, all right, so he knows about this. And he still wants me to be part of it. I think that makes her feel a lot better. You like to engage in a thing without feeling like you're already starting off lying, you know, especially when it's something regarding sacred arts where I'm certain that honesty to a point is going to be key in getting ahead and advancing. So, yeah, I can't wait. Next book is Black Flame, I think. Um, and so I will be starting that on Tuesday. I'm pretty excited about it. 
I hope that you guys have been enjoying the coverage. Thank you again to Andy for commissioning this. I can't wait. And I will be seeing you all again next week with a new episode. Until then, toodaloo, motherfuckers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.